All right. Uh, we'll be in Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25 this afternoon. Thank you for coming back, for being here. Good crowd this afternoon. Jeremiah 25, uh, we'll pray here in just a second, and we're looking now, uh, look at verse 1, the Bible says, the word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, so you see where we're headed, uh, uh, where, where we're getting to when you talk, start talking about Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar's reign as well. Today's chapter, Jeremiah 25, is not an encouraging chapter. Uh, as a matter of fact, it is a very dark chapter, uh, and uh, we'll look at it here in just a moment. But I want to remind us before we go into the chapter that darkness in this sense, the judgment that is coming, doesn't have to come if the sin isn't there. And as we look through what is ahead for uh, uh, Israel here and for the people, uh, just remember that. None of this has to come to, to fruition. Uh, the, the Babylonian captivity, the, uh, all that, that goes into that desolation that happens, didn't have to happen if the people simply would have repented and done what they're supposed to do, done right. And, uh, but they didn't. And we'll look at that this afternoon. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminders that we receive from it, for the, the growth and the learning and the challenges that we receive from it, as well as the encouraging verses and the things that we can take comfort in. Lord, I pray that today as we look at this chapter, that you would teach us, that you would grow us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you see now we are coming up on the Babylonian captivity. And a couple of things I want to point out. We're not going to read necessarily every verse, um, but in verse number two now, Jeremiah comes to speak to the people of Judah and, uh, and all of Jerusalem, it says. Verse number three, it says, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, and even unto this day, that is, uh, that is the three and 20th year, that's 23 for people like me, the word of the Lord hath come unto me. And I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, look at this last line, but ye have not hearkened. This is a choice that is being made by the people, and we're going to look at this happening three or four times here in this chapter. But he says, for 23 years now I have been preaching, I have been prophesying, I have been proclaiming the message of God. And in doing so, as I've shared with you the message of God, which is destruction's coming, captivity's coming, uh, punishment's coming if you do not repent. He says there in verse number 3, you have not hearkened. Look in verse number 4. And the Lord has sent unto you all His servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, nor inclined your ear to hear. So now He says not only me, but other servants and prophets um, that, that God has sent, they've preached to you and Still, you've not hearkened, you've not inclined your ear. Uh, flip over to verse number 7. Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord. And that's an important, by the way, three words, saith the Lord. It's not Jeremiah saying, you haven't listened to me. 
You haven't listened to me. You haven't listened to me. It's not about Jeremiah. It's about the message in which he's giving and who sent that message to him. And so it's a reminder that it's not that they haven't hearkened to Jeremiah, it's that they haven't hearkened to God. And it says in verse 7 that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt, reminding them that all that is coming is on, on yourself. It's not on God. It's not that you could sit there and blame God. Well, he did wrong to me. He didn't mean to me. He hurt me. Whatever. He says, no, it's, it's because of your own hands that the hurt is coming. Uh, look in verse, back in verse 5. Uh, it says, They said, Turn ye again, this is the prophets, Turn ye again now every one from his evil way and from the evil of your doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord hath given, you unto, uh, given unto you and to your fathers forever and ever. And go after no other gods to serve them and to worship them, and provoke me not to anger with the works of your hands, and I will do you no hurt. That's God speaking. He's saying, turn away, right? We've talked about this. Repent. Turn away from your wicked ways, from your evil doings, from your sin, from your selfishness, from your idolatry. Don't go to other gods, because if you do, it will provoke me to anger uh, with the works of your hands, and I will do you no hurt if you repent, if you turn. <clears throat> then, like we read already in verse 7, they didn't hearken, and so he says you, uh, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hand to your own hurt. I will do you no hurt, and verse number 6, if you repent, Verse number 7, now your hands has caused your own hurt. So three different times, verse 7, verse 4, and verse uh, 3, it mentions the fact that you did not hearken. You may have had a bad boss before that said something uh, or said, why didn't you do this? And you say, because you didn't tell me to do it. I didn't know I was supposed to do it. Well, you should have known, and well, but you didn't tell me to do it. I didn't know. I didn't know any better. God's not that way. God doesn't look at you and go, you should have known better. He says, no, I've told you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been very clear. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to act this way. And I've told you, if you don't repent, this is coming. Um, I love my dad, but uh, we, were, we were one time, when we worked together, I say worked together, I worked for him. Uh, but uh, when we were working at the same place, um, he got upset at someone because they didn't do something. And I did, I asked him, I said, well, did you tell him to do it? He said, no, he should have just known. I said, well, you know, maybe, but if you didn't tell them, how can you expect them to do it? Like, I can be mad at them for not doing it, the very least. You can be frustrated or annoyed or whatever, but how can you actually be mad at them? Because you didn't tell them to do it. I'm not sure if he agreed with me or not, but I was right. But uh, the fact is, is that God doesn't do that to us. God doesn't just expect us to know. He says, I've given you my words that show you and tell you you should know because I've given it to you. And if you refuse it, if you don't listen to it, if you don't incline your ear, that's on you, not on me. I have given you the message. And that's exactly what's going on here. And they have chosen to not hearken to God. So then in verse 8, that, that big word to start the verse, therefore, the reason why this is happening because of, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold... I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Listen, first of all, he's saying that sin must be punished. Behold, I will sin. I'll take all the families from the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. If you were to ask someone, name some of God's servants, 
Nebuchadnezzar is not going to be the one to come to mind more than likely. But even unknowingly, Nebuchadnezzar was serving the Lord. By the way, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. You see, in some way, shape, or form, you're going to serve the Lord. The question is, is do you want to be a willing participant? Um, I always go back to Samson when I talk about that. Samson, was he a servant of the Lord? Yes, he was. Uh, God used him to deliver his people, but do you think Samson enjoyed his service of the Lord? I would argue very loudly, no, he did not. And because Samson was all about himself, did God use him as a servant? You bet he did. But his greatest accomplishment for God was in his death. And, uh, and, and on the earth, Samson enjoyed some of the uh, gifts that God gave him, but he never enjoyed the true blessings of God because of his constant disobedience. Uh, anyways, Nebuchadnezzar, that was, all, that was free, by the way. All right, now the part that you paid for. Um, it says here that Nebuchadnezzar, my, uh, uh, the king of Babylon, my servant, will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, and he will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing or a disgrace and perpetual desolation. That doesn't sound good, right? I'm smart enough to know that at the very least. Verse number 10, he says, Moreover, I will take from the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of millstones, and the light of the candles. Saying, for in, in, in layman's terms, life as you know it is about to change. It says in verse 12, It shall come to pass with 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. So he's going to use Nebuchadnezzar to punish his people. But after 70 years, he says, I will punish Nebuchadnezzar, well, not Nebuchadnezzar, but the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it a perpetual desolation. So listen, what is, what is Babylon's iniquity? They went against God's people. Why do they go against God's people? Because God said, go against my people. But God still says it's a sin. Um, uh, you've heard the phrase, united we stand, divided we fall. You mess with one, you mess with us all. Um, <laughs> In our case as Christians, you mess with the one, right? You mess with all of us. And not that we're there to back up God, it's that God's there to back up us. And God's there to take, take care of all the problems that are going on. Nonetheless, he says, the, the punishment is coming to my people, but the people that I use to punish my people, they're going to be punished. You got all that in the notes? And I will bring upon, verse 13, that land all of my words which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all the nations, for many nations, and great kings shall serve themselves of them also. Nebuchadnezzar was a servant of the Lord, right? My servant. But he's serving himself in all of this as well. I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. I've already said this a million times. God will use wicked people at times, to do things his bidding, to do God's bidding, to, uh, whether it be a disciplinary a discipline of his people, whether it be whatever it is, uh, God's will, he'll accomplish it however he desires to do so. And as he does that, again, he says, they're going to get what's coming to them according to their deeds, according to their works. 
He uses them, God does, for His purpose, and then He destroys them. Wipes them off. They're gone. Verse number 15 says, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine cup of this fury at my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send thee to drink it. For lack of a better term, have them drink the poison. Not like a cult, by the way. As soon as I said that, I thought, oh, that sounds cultish. Um, Not like that. But uh, nonetheless, it says in verse 16, they shall drink and be, uh, be moved and be mad because of the sword, and I will send among them. He goes on in verse 18, on down through verse number 26, to list kingdoms and kings and people and places in which all this is going to, to go on. Jump down to verse 27. Therefore, and you can read that, by the way. I just, uh, there's a lot of, I mess up a lot of words, and so you can read it for yourself. Verse 27, Therefore thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink ye and be drunken, and spew and fall, and rise no more because of the sword which I will send among you. This has the perfect picture of being influenced, not being in your normal mind, uh, being influenced to do things that you maybe wouldn't do otherwise. If you think of the idea of being drunken, um, the inability to make normal decisions, right decisions, the, uh, to, to be able to control yourself because you're controlled by the wine or by the alcohol or whatever it may be. He says, go ahead and, and be drunken, spew, fall, rise no more. The sword is, is coming. I'm sending it to you. In verse 28, it's, it shall be, if they refuse to take the cup at thine hand to drink, then shalt thou say unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, ye shall certainly drink. You're not getting out of this. For lo, I begin to bring evil on the city which is called by my name, and should ye be utterly unpunished, ye shall not be unpunished. For I will call for a sword upon all the inhabitants of the earth, saith the Lord of hosts. They, they can't avoid it. They just they can't. They can't get out of it. It's what God has designed. It's what God has planned. It's what God is going to make happen. Look at verse 30. Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words, and say unto them, The Lord shall roar from on high, and utter his voice from his holy habitation. Ye shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout as uh, they that tread uh, the, the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise shall come, an alarm will be sounded, even to the ends of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He will plead with all flesh. He will give them that are wicked to the sword, saith the Lord. Listen, God's making the war. Babylon doesn't decide, hey, we should go to war uh, against these people. No, God decided it. (laughs) And Babylon was just doing the bidding of God. And Babylon's going to suffer the consequence for it as well. It says the Lord hath the controversy. This is a just cause by God to bring Babylon in to punish his people. It's a just reason. And it'll be a just cause when he delivers them as well. Verse 32, uh, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation. A great whirlwind shall be raised. Uh, Many believe this to be the Chaldean army that comes through. Uh, Verse 33, And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered, nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. Listen, it's picturesque, I know. But the idea of the desolation, the idea that no one is going to care, 
You're just going to be scared. You're not getting a burial. Listen, burials, funerals are respectful, right? You pay reverence, or not, maybe not reverence is the right word, but you pay memory to, and, uh, and, and you talk about one's life and what was accomplished in the life, and you, it is a time of remembrance, of, of good remembrance. It is respectful to do so. He said, you're not getting the respect of a funeral. You're just going to be scattered around like wild animal dung just out on the ground. It's just what it is. Um, verse 34, Howl ye shepherds and cry, Wallow yourselves in the ashes, ye principal of the flock, for the days of your slaughter and your dispersions are accomplished, and ye shall, like a, uh, and ye shall fall like a pleasant vessel. The idea of the crashing there. The idea that, that, that at one time, you know, you think of shepherds. We, when we think of shepherds, we oftentimes go back to David keeping his sh- uh, sheep safe. And the bear came and the lion came and God allowed him to defeat the bear and the lion. Shepherds, I don't know about you, when I think of a shepherd, I don't think of strength. But shepherds were strong. Shepherds were brave. Shepherds were courageous. And they did everything they could to protect their flock because, well, it's, that was their source of food, right? They had the trade or sell or whatever it may be. And they were to guard that flock. And here is the sense of, of fear, the sense of uh, defeat, so to say, cry and howl um, because of what is coming. Verse 35, And the shepherds shall have no way to flee, nor the principle of the flock to escape. You, you can't escape. You cannot get out of it. You can't outrun it. Verse 36, The voice of the cry of the shepherds and the howling of the principle of the flock shall be heard, for the Lord hath spoiled their pasture. It's no longer good. Verse 37, and the peaceable habitations are cut down because of the fierce anger of the Lord. He hath forsaken his covert as the lion, and for their land is desolate because of the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. What are two things that make God angry? I'm going to tell them to you. There's more than two, obviously. Two things that make God angry. Number one, it's his people rejecting him. That's going to make God angry. If his people, Christians, his children, reject him, God's not going to take that lightly. The second thing is if someone does wrong to his people. See, God gets angry. I say angry. It's righteously anger. It's just anger at us when we sin when we reject God, when we do things that are wrong in his eyes. God doesn't just, as a parent, sometimes your kids, it's kind of levels, right? Maybe even on just the day that you're having of how angry you get at your kids uh, when they do something wrong. And uh, you sit there and you go, well, you know, he shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have done that, but, you know, it'll be okay. You know, hey, don't do that again. And then there's other times when you're like, pack your bags, you're out of here, pal. That is, not, that is not acceptable in this house. Um, I remember one time, uh, I came home 30 minutes late, I think. Now listen, I lived on a, on a camp property. We had 20, 30 houses there. Everybody worked at the camp, right? So when you're on the property, you're not getting much more safe than what you can be there. And so mom says be home at 5, and I come home at 5.30. It's not like I'm out you know, carousing the town, 
uh, I'm, you know, playing basketball down at camp. And I came back home, and uh, Mom asked me, why are you late? And I don't remember now what I said, but whatever I said wasn't true. And I don't remember how in the world they found out. I don't know what I gave up. I don't remember all of that. But I remember it, it being found out that why I was late was not the reason why I was late. And, and really, had I just told the truth, it probably would have been over. But I remember I was probably 9, 10 years old. And I remember getting a spanking, and my dad said, you do not lie to your mother. And I'm sitting there on myself thinking, I have lied a million times to mom and haven't gotten spanked. And, uh, but for whatever reason, that time I did. You know, it's one of those things where it's, it, it, in our minds, things differ, right? There's, there's levels of, of wrong to a degree where you say, okay, that's not, you know, don't do that. That was wrong. Don't do it again. And there are other levels where it's very serious and you make sure they know it's very serious. You know, when, when God doesn't look at us and go, well, and I said it this morning, oh, well, they, they're human, so it's okay. No, God hates sin. God passionately hates sin. We overlook things. We go, it's not that big of a deal. It's not as bad as this, or as bad as this, or as bad as this. And we overlook it. God doesn't overlook our sin. God never one time goes, eh, it's not that big of a deal. God hates sin. And at the point where it comes down to it, where they are here in, in Jeremiah 25, God is saying, you have provoked me to anger. I have been patient, I have been long-suffering, I have been loving, I have been kind, but I have also told you this is wrong, and if you don't fix it, then there's going to be major problems. That anger stirred, but not only with his children, he still loves his children enough to be angry at any person, even doing God's bidding that goes against God's people. That's why when, and again, we in America are still incredibly blessed. But that's why when people talk about, well, before long you won't be able to preach in a church building openly. Or you won't be able to preach on certain topics. Or you won't be able to whatever. I honestly don't pay it much attention because I know anything that comes against me because of doing what God wants me to do, God's going to take care of it. Does that mean that that you could get thrown in prison one day? Sure, maybe. But my job is just to do what God wants me to do, to hearken to his voice and let him handle everything else. These people, his people, didn't hearken. And they had multiple, they had 23 years to repent, to hearken. Yet continually they hearken not to the voice of the Lord. Again, I said that the Babylonian captivity didn't have to take place. Why not? Well, because God said if you repent, then all's fine. All's forgiven, so to say. Yet they still chose not to repent. And because they chose not to repent, they paid the consequence of it. And on the good side of things, those who were bad to God's people, they paid the consequence of that as well. So just understand, you have <laughs> one job, just to do right, no matter what. Just do right. Just do what God says. Hearken to his voice, follow what he says, and do it. And let God handle everything else. Because God is able to handle everything else. And God loves you. And God wants what's best for you. So just follow him. Just do right. 
and hearken. In order to hearken, you have to hear. In order to hear, you either have to be somewhere you can hear or read it for yourself. And both is what I would suggest. Uh, consistently being in God's Word so that you can hear, so that you can hearken, so that you can obey. God, help us. that We're not perfect, and we know that. But God, we want to be better. And God, I pray that we would not provoke you to anger, provoke you to wrath, but God, that we would hearken. And when we do wrong, Lord, that we would hearken to your, your call for repentance, your call to get right, your call for us to get back where we need to be. And Lord, that we would not drag it out, that we would not need major punishment. Lord, I think of our country... And God, we know our country is wicked and we've, we all agree the, the way to fix our country is for us to do what we're supposed to do and to reach other people. God, I pray that uh, you would uh, continue to be patient with our country. And Lord, that you would use us uh, to make that call to repentance. Lord, that you'd use us to reach those in our community, that it would spread. And Lord, that our country would not have to be disciplined. I know our country is not Israel. I know our country is not your people. God, I pray that our, uh, our country would not have to be disciplined for its wickedness, but, Lord, that we could be a part of the revival message, Lord, that we see an impact in our country. Help us to do right so that we can help others to do right. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We'll be back Wednesday night at 7 o'clock if you can come. We'd sure love to have you. It's going to be cold this week, so stay warm. Uh, maybe bring a jacket with you to church, and we'll try to keep it relatively warm in here without... Uh, paying millions of dollars to do it, but uh, uh, feel free to bring a jacket or a blanket or something with you if, you if you get cold while you're here and things like that. But we will see you on Wednesday night, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise and everything else that you're supposed to say with that. Uh, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today, for your faithfulness, and it's always a joy to see everybody. Let's go ahead and be dismissed.